Is it on? Yeah, it's on. <laughs> Good morning. Good to see everyone this morning. Um, as we begin to turn our attention towards our missions conference the first two weeks of March, I've been asked to introduce a uh, video update this morning. Um, we have the privilege of um, updating some of our missionaries. Last week we talked, we saw a film from um, uh, Don and Cheryl Schroeder uh, in Bangladesh. And uh, this morning we got an update from Brian and Terry Furpo. I think um, we've known them for over 25 years. I think the, the first time we saw them, their kids were little and they were raising support to go to Thailand. It's been a long time ago. Um, they've been there all these years, church planning in Thailand and Bangkok and Khon Kien. Um, then uh, I think it was 2016 we sent a team over. There was, I think, five of us went over. Jim was on that team, Thad and I and a couple others. So uh, Ed... And uh, it, was a good, it was a good trip, and really just being able to spend that week with them there um, had an impact on our lives. Uh, they're working uh, cam- uh, campus ministry on the colleges uh, as an inroads for the gospel. And um, so they've been there for many, many years. And uh, a few years ago, you know that um, they were able to stay in this side of town on furlough, and they went to church with us for almost a year. And it was really nice having them here with us during that time. And so... Uh, when you see the video, you're going to be kind of shocked, I think, to see how, um, how much Caleb has changed. <laughs> Caleb has really gotten big and looked like a young man. I mean, he has really changed a lot. Uh, they have um, two other sons here living in the States, and then uh, they have a daughter there with them there. So um, just wanted to um, remind you to pray for them. He's going to ask you to do that, and I pray you'll take on that commitment to pray for uh, Brian and Terry Furpo. It's been difficult. You know, they went back to Thailand. They went up to Chiang Mai and started the ministry there in the campus. It's a it's a tourist town, tourist city with a lot of people there, uh, much bigger than Konkin. The university's much bigger. And then COVID hit. So that shut everything down. All the ministry really struggled through COVID, still struggling through it. And uh, the campuses, you know, it's a relationship. So it's one-on-one with people. That was all really hurt a lot. Uh, I know he's gone down to Con Ken several times, and the church there is doing great. He's turned it over to the Nationals, and uh, he is uh, working there in Chiang Mai trying to overcome, you know, the difficulties of COVID. Uh, but let me say this as I inter- close and introduce them. But the, I've known a lot of missionaries in my life, and um, I think Brian and Cherry are, are two of the finest and, and really most successful missionaries I know. They really do a good job, and uh, he's really big on relationships, um, evangelizing, discipling, church planning, through relationships. And uh, the one thing we all left with on that trip was how committed they are to prayer and trusting God for the results. So uh, this is about Brian and Terry Furpo. Many times people ask me, why uh, Thailand? Why did you stay in Thailand? Why did you come to Thailand? And uh, the answer is, is that um, Thailand is one of the largest unreached people groups in the world, uh, despite missionaries being in the country for about 180 years and so uh, taking you on a tour today to see and to show you why we chose Thailand. Thanakamola Hetanam Atikaye Kaya Yaya 
Welcome to Chiang Mai University, home to 25,000 plus of the elite uh, college students in Thailand. And yet, day by day, we meet students and talk to them and ask them, have you ever had a Christian friend? Not, not even have you ever heard the gospel, but have you ever had a Christian friend? And many, many of them say they've never had a Christian friend. Welcome to the Majo Cafeteria, where this is our first step in meeting students. Almost all the students that we've met over the past 30 years have come through sitting down and eating lunch with students and meeting them and getting to know them. So welcome to the Majo University Cafeteria. Building laborers on the campus for the lost world. That's what we do here in Thailand. And we do that through a four-step uh, process, which we call the four E's, which is evangelize the lost, establish uh, new, new believers to be solid in their faith, both in the word and prayer and evangelism and um, fellowship with other Christians and being committed to the local church. And then we equip uh, believers so that they can spiritually multiply their, their lives and hopefully build other uh, ties into laborers. And then the last thing we do is export them um, to wherever the Lord is calling them, whether it's in the business world or being teachers or to be on staff with a Christian organization. So that's what we do here in Thailand. People ask me all the time what we're trusting God for to do here in Thailand. And I would say throughout Thailand and Southeast Asia and really throughout the world, Camp Outreach is seeking to build Slim Squared Movements, which stands for Sustainable Labor-Producing Indigenous Multiplying Movements. So when you pray for us here in Thailand, as we plant churches and we uh, work on the college campus, please pray that God would um, do Slim Squared. So the last two things I want to do is give a big thank you to Grace Community Church for supporting us and helping uh, my family be here. Uh, Grace has been on our support team for the past 25 plus years and we could not be here without you thank you for the body and for your love and your faithful support to us over the years and the second thing is that the missions committee asked me to do this video and trying to help encourage you to be a part of grace community's missions conference during the first few weeks of march of 2022 and i'll just say that uh 35 years ago when i came to christ one of the first things my discipleship leader did was to take me to a missions conference at Briarwood Presbyterian Church. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of people talking about missions and talking about people who had never heard of Christ. And so I just encourage you to participate in the missions conference and come and see what God is calling you to. Because the word says, how can they call upon the one whom they've not yet uh, believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not yet hear, heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And finally, how can they preach unless they are sent? Thank you, Grace Community Church, for being part of sending so many. God bless you. Good morning. One of the things I'm always proud of, if I can say it that way, uh, impressed with is the commitment of our missionaries to the work they have. 
in spite of COVID, they were committed to doing what they could do, and they still are. Um, and these videos we see just uh, really emphasize that to me. They've committed their lives to serving Christ in this way, and so should we all. All right, you probably all got your conference brochure. Uh, there's a schedule in there, and there's a little bio on all of the speakers that we're going to have at the conference uh, for you to peruse when you will. If you look at the very front page, you'll see the verse that Brian just read off to us, and that's our theme verse for the conference. Um, it's Romans 10, 14 to 15, and uh, it's a very uh, appropriate verse for missionaries and the work of the church, including us, in sending them out. What I wanted to announce this morning is uh, we're going to have a special on the first weekend of the conference. On the 6th at night, we're going to have a video that was only in the theaters here for one day, and it sold out so quickly that many believers could not, did not get a chance to go see it. It's called Sabina the Movie. It's about a Jewish woman and husband who became believers in Romania during the Nazi occupation. They were offered the opportunity to escape but they felt like God wanted them to stay there as a witness, and so they did, and they suffered and were tortured. And the story is about Sabina uh, committed to the Lord, offering hope to her persecutors, those that were torturing her. And I really, I really wanted to see it, and we will be seeing it that Sunday night on the 6th. Please come and see it. I think you will be as encouraged as I hope I will. Thank you. We're going to see the uh, trailer for the video right now. I want the same things every girl wants. And then a little bit more. I want you to meet some more. Who? Oh. Is every bit as ambitious as you. <laughs> Who's this? She is my niece, Sabina Oster. My mother is nagging me to get married. She's even picked out a girl. That sounds very nice for you. What do you think? I think my mother should ask me that question. Your mother's gonna kill me. Hey, Brayor! The SS came looking for you today. I'm not hiding. Maybe you should. Since he's been a bombard? We can get you to the border if we leave now. You know this is ridiculous. I'm collecting all the verses in the Bible that tell us not to be afraid. I think I might need to lean on all of them. If we stay, I'll follow the others into prison. It will be the end of our life together. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. We believe this or we don't. I think we have to stay. We have a job to do. conference is a very important time in the life of our 
our body here at uh, Grace. Um, it's an opportunity for you to be able to get to know our missionaries better. One of the uh, unique um, privileges we have because of our philosophy of mis- missions is to be able to meet our missionaries and to be able to interact with them, to be able to find out what's going on with them on the field, to be able to pray for them in an intentional manner, you know, and, and have specific things that we can pray about for them. Uh, we're able to interact with their families, which is very important. When we think about missions, I think a lot of times we, we think about the parents and not so much about the children, but it's the whole package. And so we have an opportunity to meet the entire family at times. And so I encourage you to set aside those first two weeks in March, not to take off, but to be engaged in missions here at Grace uh, through the different activities that we have. One of the things that you'll notice uh, in your missions brochure, if it's not there, I know it's on a separate sheet, is that we will be having lunch on the grounds after, uh, after the service on the second Sunday of March. And so again, an opportunity to interact with the missionaries uh, who will be here uh, for that weekend. I wanted to transition this morning to um, us thinking about the Lord's Supper. It's an opportunity for us to remember, and it's an opportunity to celebrate. It's both. It's a remembrance of what Christ did for us on the cross at Calvary, but it's also a celebration of what that accomplished and the life that we can have with the Father through Jesus Christ the Lord. So I wanted to, to read um, just the section in 1 Corinthians 11, and I'd ask that you turn there, 1 Corinthians 11, verses um, 23 and following. I want to make mention right now, in case I were to forget after a while, that the requirement that, that I can see um, in the scriptures when it comes to partaking of the Lord's Supper is twofold. One, you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. So if, if you fit that category today, you have the opportunity to, to partake. But also, it's being in fellowship with the Lord. You know, having confessed that sin. And we know that he's faithful as we've studied in First John. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And remember, that's in the context of fellowship. And that fellowship is very, very important that we maintain that on a daily basis. And so... You do not have to be a member here at Grace to partake, but you need to be a member of the body of Christ. That's important. So I want to make sure I mention that before we read um, this passage together. So I'd like for you to stand as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. 
but a man must examine himself. And in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We mentioned this last week and how imperative that is. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Paul says, for this reason, many among you, Corinthian believers, are weak and sick and a number are dead. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord. That is a unique phrase um, for the believer. We are disciplined by the Lord. The author of Hebrews says, those whom he loves, he chastens, he disciplines. So that we will not be condemned along with the world because the world is condemned. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you will not come together for judgment. The remaining matters I will arrange when I come. And my prayer is that the Lord would help us to think through this as we partake together today in remembering the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I'm thankful I can call you Father. I'm thankful that's been made possible through your Son, Jesus Christ. And as 1 John tells us, Jesus Christ, the righteous. There is no one righteous, no, not one, except Jesus Christ. I pray this morning as we worship together that this is not the first time we've thought about this morning. But that we've been preparing our hearts and our minds for worship. For a time where we can sing praises to you. A time when your word is open that we can think on and reflect on what you would have for us today. As we think about how we can live to please you. I pray that you are honored alone, Lord, and that you are glorified alone this morning as we bring our worship to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the perfect and holy one. Amen. Good morning, church. Great to see everybody this morning. Um, Jesus Christ, guys, is, is building his church, even to this day. And his spirit is alive. It, it quickens us to serve him as he sees fit. He even breathes uh, life into dead spiritual souls, uh, calling them to Christ, calling them to himself. And it's that spirit, the spirit of the Lord, that we want to be in tune with this morning as we offer our worship. Music, guys, is a wonderful gift from God. It can take uh, bland or stale words and infuse them with emotion and power. But the most beautiful song ever sung, the most beautiful voice you've ever heard, does not impress God. What impresses God is a quiet humble, submitted spirit, in tune with his spirit. And so that's our prayer this morning, is that our hearts are in tune with him. Let's worship the Lord. Come the fountain, every blessing 
tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the name I fixed upon Mount of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to on me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God me to rescue me from danger in a post his precious love oh to the now bring the dead and yeah, yeah, I am constrained to leave. Let thy goodness like a feather find my wanting heart to be. Grown to wonder when I feel it. Grown to leave the God I love is my heart. Jesus saw Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God
I know every once in a while you're probably thinking, why does Thad walk up there when they're still on the stage? Is he being rude? Have you ever had that thought? Uh-huh, be honest. Well, one of the things that we have to do is consider that um, this service is being shown, and so um, the dead time, those guys in the back don't like that, so um, we have accommodated them. So as not to have much dead time. Just in case you were wanting to know while I was, why I was continuing to be rude. Alright, take your Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. We are in chapter 2. So that's probably a record time that we've gone from one chapter to another. But... The end of chapter 1 goes right into the first section of chapter 2. Do you know all of the benefits that you have in being in Christ? Are you familiar with all that's available to you because of Christ? So there's two things that if you walk out today I want you to remember. Number one, we have one who speaks on our behalf. And number two, we have one who died for us. Now we can just close out and that's it. Because that's verses one and two of chapter two. But I want us to understand them within the context and framework of what John is saying. Two powerful truths. We have one who speaks on our behalf. And we have one who died for us. Let's uh, read... Verse 10, and then we'll read verses 1 and 2. I've entitled this morning's message, Good News. Weren't you tired of listening to the bad news, right? So this is the good news. Begin in verse 10 of 1 John chapter 1. If we say that we have not sinned. We talked about that last week. That John is building the argument that even believers can disagree that something that is revealed in their life is sin. They can disagree with God that indeed what has been revealed is sin. 
And I think if we were all honest, that probably that's happened a time or two in our life where we have disagreed with something that has been shown to us that is sin, that we have labeled it as something else. Okay? And so it's very important that we understand what God's mind is regarding sin. And we allow the, the, the Word of God to define sin. Is that okay? That we allow His Word to tell us what is right and what is wrong. And even within the framework of the church today, there's much too much emphasis on the wisdom of man and not the Word of God. And so there has to be a consideration as to what God has said about. Remember, there, there came a, out years ago a bracelet what would Jesus do? Well, I had a thought, what did Jesus do? Um, not what would he do, what did he do? Not, I wonder what God would say, but what has God already said? So I think that's important as we consider the context of what he's writing there in verse 10. And then he says, verses 1 and 2, My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Notice the affection, we've talked about this, that John has for his readers. My little children. And what's interesting is if you take that phrase, my little children, and you go back to the Gospel of John, upon the departure of Judas, after he's left the room, Jesus addresses his 11 remaining as my little children. It's a very important note. Something to consider. My little children, I am writing these things. What things? The things that he's just discussed at least. I won't limit it to just that, but I believe in context, that's what he's primarily referring to. I'm writing uh, these things to you so that you may not sin. That's the standard. Remember last week we spoke briefly about that. Why would the standard be, I've written these things to you so that you only sin a little bit? That doesn't even make any sense, right? The Lord desires that we live holy lives. Are we going to achieve perfection in this lifetime? Answer, no. In fact, what have you found in your Christian life as it relates to sin? Frustration from time to time? Committing the same sin over and over and over and over again to the point where you're like, well, Lord, could you even forgive me for this again? Any of you have been there and done that? Aren't we glad for the grace of God? The forgiveness the complete forgiveness that he offers. So he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. In other words, he's about to unfold for them what God expects in chapter 2 and beyond, chapter 2, verse 3 and beyond. This is how a believer needs to look. This is what needs to accompany that person's life. He says, and if anyone sins, meaning if anyone sins and we do. That's the thought of the, the verb there. If anyone sins, and we do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
How many of you would agree this morning that you sin? It's not if we sin, but when we sin. And it is true that it seems as if sin is always knocking at the door. You find that in your life? It doesn't take long, does it? You might not even you might not even make it through the service. Before something will go on in your mind, right? Because the mind's a very powerful thing. That's why Paul writes a lot about the mind. The Lord gives us a lot of information about the mind. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth, because my mind is prone to what? Set be set on the things below. So I'm prone to wonder already. I'm prone to sin. Sin is not something that you teach children. You do not have your child and go, well, you know what, honey, we're going to have to teach them to sin. They just sin. They sin. Well, isn't it funny? You can have discussions with people about, I wonder when they commit their first sin. I don't know, but when the kid takes the bottle, right, that you're trying to give them because you think that's the problem, they just go... Like that, you're like, well, something's going on. Sin is something that all of us can identify with. And John knew that, and as he's writing to his audience of believers, he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's the standard. And if anyone sins and we do, we have an advocate. That word have is very important in your text. It means we have right now. And we continue to have. Now, you think, how important is that? It's very important. You have an advocate right now, and that's Jesus Christ the righteous. You have him right this second, and you have him the next second, and the next second. You have him. He is the one, as we're going to see, who speaks on your behalf. We have and continue to have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous. So he identifies who this advocate is. It is Jesus Christ who? The righteous. The one who is perfectly righteous. Because you could read it and say, um, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Would that be true? It's true. But he identifies the advocate. It is one. Not many. It's one. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now notice that little word, with. I know probably at times you think that. You just focus way too much on these tiny words. It'll be all right. That word, with, literally means facing toward. I love the picture. I have an advocate facing toward the Father. Who is the advocate? Jesus Christ, the righteous. Facing the Father. Is that not just a beautiful picture? Absolutely it's. And if you're not up to date with a picture, get updated with it this afternoon. It's a wonderful picture. He's the one, Jesus Christ the righteous, that faces the Father who speaks on our behalf. 
And I got good news for you. There is no one else that can do that. Only Jesus Christ, the righteous. We'll deal with the second half of the verse in a few minutes. I want to focus in on this word, advocate. I came to understand what that meant on a personal level several years ago when I had a person call me and say to me, Thad, I need you to speak to a judge on my behalf. I was like, hey, you know, I mean, uh, okay, maybe. He calls me one night, says, Thad, I need to come see you. It's about 1030 at night. He comes, he pulls in the driveway. We sit in his car for a couple hours. He says, I need you to speak to the judge on behalf of my character. You ever had somebody do that? I promise you, you'll think about it. He said, it's going to be a federal court. So then I had a court in mind, but then a federal court I didn't have. I mean, I've been in a courtroom, but a federal courtroom, I'm like, ooh. You know, I started moving around. I get un- when I get uncomfortable, my body starts moving around. So I'm moving around that car. He says, look, you've known me for X amount of years. I need you to speak to this judge on my behalf. I remember talking to Teresa about it, and I'm like, I know this is what the Lord wants me to do. I know this, this is who I know. I know this man. And I want to speak on behalf of this man. And I remember going into that federal courtroom and walking in, and it's not like going in a regular courtroom. Everything looks different. It's all polished up. Like you, I know you might have in your mind a courtroom, a regular, but this is a different level. It felt different. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I remember going up the elevators, and I remember thinking, what kind of questions am I going to get? But I was willing to speak on behalf of my friend. I was willing to speak on his behalf. So, I don't know if you've ever been put in that situation before. But here's what's so awesome about being a believer in Jesus Christ. And it's hard to wrap your mind around. And it's hard for me to kind of wrap my mind around. But my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ, always speaks on my behalf. And is always willing to do that. Wow. Well, the word advocate in the Greek language occurs uh, five times in the New Testament. Four times in the Gospel of John. I want to show you this. I think I've even, you don't have to turn there because I think I have it for you. But four times it occurs in the Gospel of John. This same term, Okay. But it, it occurs in relationship to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, not the second person of the Trinity. So that's unique because the word advocate in the Gospel of John, it has the meaning of comforter or consoler, okay? And it is the one who comes to one's aid or a helper. So when you think of John's Gospel, and you think about Jesus Christ speaking about the Holy Spirit, what's one of the words that is used over and over again? Helper. Okay? Coming to one's aid. When the context of the Gospel of John, this is very important to hear, in the context of the Gospel of John, after Judas leaves the room, Jesus speaks to the eleven, to his little children, 
about this comforter four times. You say, what's the big deal? Judas is gone. Judas didn't need the comforter. What did Judas need? The Savior. Okay? But you come to chapter 13, I think it's verse 31, 32, somewhere in there. He says, my little children, Judas has already exited the room. And so he's talking to those 11. And in talking to those 11, he introduces them to this term. The one who would give them aid or help. All right? Now, I want you to understand something. This is really awesome. The one that Jesus Christ introduces to the disciples as another helper, meaning not another of a different kind, but another of the same kind, is the same helper that lives in you and me. How about that? So when someone says, I can't do this, well, guess what? I've got good news for you. The Spirit of God can do it through you. I can't go to the mission field where Brian Furpo is. There's no way. You're right. You might not be able to. But the Spirit of God can help you in that. Do you agree with that? Now, it's a very hard concept to get across to people in the United States because we don't need any help. We've got it all figured out. And even as a Christian, when I need help, I know who I can go to. But I think the mindset, if I understand these verses correctly in their context, Jesus is telling his disciples, you need the helper all the time. And he's available all the time. I want to show you this real quick. John 14, 16. I will ask the Father, this is Jesus talking, and he will give you, who is you, the eleven, another helper. Another there is not another of a different kind. Another there is another of the same kind. Basically what he's telling his disciples here in this couple of chapters, look, I've been with you, I'm going to be in you. Okay? So that he may be with you how long? Now, if you're one of those guys and you listen to the last part of the Lord Jesus' commands after his resurrection, and he tells you, you're going to go be my witnesses or my martyrs, I'm sure at some point in time they came to go, I like that. I like that, that I have a helper. Don't you? When you're going through trials and tribulations in your life, guys, listen, we don't have to try to put on some macho jacket and go, I can do this. We have the helper that's in us. One of the best things that we can pray for our Christian young people is that they would come to understand the helper that's available, that's in them. So he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him and he remains with you and will be what? In you. I don't even know if we can fathom that the third person of the Godhead is within us. <laughs> John 14, 26, same word, but the helper the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, 
he will what? Teach you all things. And remind you of all that I said to you. Two very important applications here. Number one for the disciples was going to be, he's going to teach you, right? And he's going to remind you of all that I said. Good stuff. And if you're one of those disciples, you're like, yes. Guess what? That same helper, the Holy Spirit, teaches you. He's your primary teacher. If someone said, who's your primary teacher? Don't tell them your pastor. Don't tell them that. Don't tell them your professor. Don't tell them that. Your primary teacher is the Holy Spirit of God. Can you agree with that? He's the one, and the Bible says here, Jesus said to his disciples, he will teach you all things. And he'll remind you of what I said. Used again in chapter 15, verse 26. When the helper comes, same word, whom I will send to you from the Father. The helper is the aid. All right, same term that he's using here in 1 John 2, except he's only except he's referring to the Holy Spirit in John's gospel and to the second person of the Trinity in 1 John 2. He says, When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, namely the Spirit of truth, who comes from the Father, he will testify about me. Listen to me. The Spirit of God is going to testify about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who he's going to testify about, Jesus Christ. That little phrase there, the Spirit of truth. We pray, or should each day, Lord, lead me into all the truth. The Spirit of God is the one that leads believers into the truth truth because he's truth so that's what he's going to do very very important verses so he we find that this term for advocate is used in the gospel of john remember in the context when jesus is with his disciples after judas is gone and he encourages them hey look i've got a comforter i've got an aid i've got one who's going to help you he's been with you he's going to be in you Last verse that's used in John's gospel that refers to this. In John 16, Jesus says to them, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I am leaving. How many of you read that and go, that's odd? Could you have that reaction? Well, sure you could. But what's he saying to his disciples? It's to your advantage that I go away. He says, and he tells them why, for if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And we know that beginning at the church, the Spirit of God entered into the what? Hearts of men. So we have an advantage, don't we? Yes, we do. We have a great benefit. Don't we? Yes, we do. And the benefit is that just as the disciples would have the Spirit of God in them, at salvation, we have the Spirit of God that indwells us, and He indwells us, and He lives within us, and He is our helper, and He is our aid. And do you know why He's our helper? And do you know why He's our aid? Because we need help. 
You say, that, that's just way too simplistic. Yeah, well, how many times have you told your teenager, you're going to need help with this, and they're like, no, I don't. Or your kid who says, you're going to need help to this, no, I don't. Well, yeah, you do. They just don't know it, do they? There's a great advantage that we have since the church began that the Spirit of God, the Helper, indwells us. So that's the way the term is used in the Gospel of John. It's used in 1 John chapter 2 in relationship to the second person of the Trinity. Notice it says, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. In Thayer's Greek lexicon, this is how he defines that. It's translated advocate and refers to the one who pleads the case of the believer. Because believers do what? Class, believers sin. And we need an advocate. Someone to speak on our behalf. I like the way J. Dwight Pentecost puts this picture for us in his book on the joy of fellowship. He says this. The believer's sin causes activity in heaven that is beyond human comprehension. Now listen to this. While any man, and he's using what, what's John saying here, while any man or child of God is in the act of sinning, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Advocate is the word still used in England meaning defense attorney. He says it's meaningful to read it that way. He says while any man, any child of God is sinning, we have a defense attorney. A defense attorney becomes necessary when someone has been charged with wrongdoing. Question, who is the accuser? Satan is. Okay? So the sinning child of God has been accused. God will not accuse the believer because God sees him not in his sin, but in Jesus Christ. If God be for us, who can be against us? You've heard this language. It's in the book of Romans. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall we not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Jesus Christ, he says, Pentecost says, is not the accuser because it is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who lives to make what? intercession for us. While Christ acts as our defense attorney, Satan stands before God as the constant accuser of the brethren according to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. So think about this. We have one who is accusing, but we have one who is speaking on our behalf. And who is that? Jesus Christ the righteous. I don't know that it can get any better than that. You have one that speaks for you. Think about that next time you sin. You have one that speaks for you, and that is Jesus Christ, who's identified by John as the righteous, the only one. But then he says, notice, not only does he tell them, hey, you have an advocate, or we have an advocate, he uses the pronoun we there, but also, not only do we have an advocate, but we have one who died for us. Notice verse 2. I think I put this on. Yeah. 
And he himself, going back to Jesus Christ, he himself is the propitiation. That's a long word. But if you said that five or six times in a row, you might not get right. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. That word propitiation is a word that um, literally means just satisfaction. That's what it means. It means to cover over or to put under blood. Propitiation means satisfaction. It means this. One author wrote this. Christ takes away God's displeasure at our sin as the Father looks at the nail-pierced hands of the righteous one in whom he is fully satisfied. In other words, when the Father sees the Son, he sees full satisfaction as one who paid for the sins of Thad Blunt and who paid for the sins of you and you and you and you and you. Um, the word picture here is interesting because the picture is of the Day of Atonement. When the high priest would sprinkle the blood of an animal, sacrifice on the mercy seat. That's the picture. And on the Day of Atonement, the people pleaded for mercy. One author put, put it this way. They pleaded for mercy after confessing they were guilty and deserved judgment. He went on to write, God permitted the high priest to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and cover the iniquity of the people. Now listen to this. From what? Year to year. Not once for all, but year to year. In fact, the author of Hebrews tells us about the satisfaction of Christ's blood over that of the blood of bulls and goats or any man's blood outside of the God-man Jesus Christ. Notice what the author of Hebrews says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things having come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, what, not made by hands, that is, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves. You think about how much blood was poured out under the old covenant. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. And we're told in the book of Hebrews that the high priest would enter one time a year, right? You remember that? It says, um, but in those sacrifices, you, uh, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, Therefore, when he says, therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you prepared for me. And we know that every priest stood daily ministering for the people, that once a year the high priest went in to make atonement for the people, but it was just what it was a temporary year by year issue. It was not full atonement, meaning satisfactory for all for all time. Only Jesus Christ could accomplish that. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is saying. Not of this creation, not through the blood of goats and of calves, but through what? His own blood. 
He entered the holy place how many times? Once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So when John is writing to these believers, he's saying, look, we have one that speaks on our behalf, and that same one that speaks on our behalf died on our behalf. Now notice the end of 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. He himself is the satisfaction for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. One of the debates in Christian theology has to do with the extent of the atonement. You're going to run into that. I'm just pre-warning you. Maybe you've already run into that before. But the question becomes um, about the extent of the atonement. And so, did Christ die for all or for just some? Well, I like the way that W.A. Criswell put it. And he, he, he and John Walvoord kind of tag-teamed, I think, on this statement. I put Walvoord's quote in, in uh, bold. Criswell said, The universal extent of the atonement of Christ is nowhere more clear than here. In other words, Christ died for all. That's what we teach here at Grace. He says, or Walvoord says, Why the atonement of Christ was sufficient to cover the sins of all men. This is a very important statement. Christ's atonement was sufficient to cover the sins of all men. Does the Bible tell us that? We believe the Bible does tell us that. We believe it says that here and other scriptures as well. The atonement of Christ was sufficient to cover the sins of all men. That does not mean every person will be saved. Right? So what he's differentiating, he's saying, look, this is the extent of the atonement. His sacrifice was sufficient to cover the sins of all men, but all men aren't going to believe. Do we see that to be true? Yeah, all men don't believe. I, I um, spoke Wednesday night in the youth, and um, the title of my message was, Will You Be in Hell? The reason I did that is because the Lord led me to it. It was really an amazing story. i got to share this with you real quick. So, Corey had called me. He was sick. He asked me to teach and last Wednesday, and it got to be Sunday night, and I really hadn't thought about it until then because of Sunday morning. I really wasn't thinking about Wednesday night. And So, Monday morning, I get to the office, and I said, Amanda, is there anything you think maybe the kids ought to hear? She's like, I don't know. She'll I'll think about it. I said, well, let me know if you get a revelation. So she, um, Wednesday morning, it's Wednesday morning. Because I have school and I got a lot of school work to do Monday and Tuesday. So it's Wednesday morning. And I'd been thinking about it, but there's only one thing that was on my mind. But I wanted to find out if Amanda had been thinking about it at all. And I said, hey, you have any revelation, anything you think maybe the kids ought She said, I just keep thinking about hell. And I was like, whoa. And I was like, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, you're kidding. I said, because that's what I've been thinking about. It's what the Lord's been putting on my mind. So Wednesday night, that's what I taught on. Because I don't think it's taught enough. You know, when I was, I know this is off subject just a slight bit, but when I was growing up, I told the young people this, we had hell, fire, and brimstone preachers, right? I mean, they just, you think I get excited. <laughs> Nothing. 
I'm talking about pounding the pulpit and you're going to hell and da 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 da. And uh, you need Christ. And, and I mean, it was a beautiful presentation. In a lot of cases, it was just real boisterous, I guess would be a good way to put it. And if you fell asleep during those times, you were really tired. But, but they would, that's what, that's, they'd preach that way. And, and I remember when I was a kid, I don't know what I really thought about it. And as I got older, and as I've gotten older, I've looked back and I thought, you know what those guys were doing? Preaching the Word of God. They were giving people the gospel the way they had been taught and knew how. And, and they were just declaring that Jesus Christ died for you and that you need a Savior and that He took your place. And the only way you're ever going to see the Father was to trust in what His Son Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. Otherwise, you're going to go to hell. And of course, now that transition over the years to where people don't want to hear about that word hell. So you kind of have to avoid that in some places because you might not see the same people the next week. But the reality is this, that the best way we love people is to share with them the gospel. And that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And the Bible speaks more about hell than it does heaven. So if we're going to say heaven's a real place and all of us are for that, hell's a real place. And young people, I was, like I told them Wednesday night, I'm telling you this because I love you. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And there's only one way to the Father, and Jesus Christ declared it. It's through me, the Son. And one must confess, right, that. In other words, this is how that looks. One must believe in that. Believe in what Jesus Christ did for them and dying for their sins on the cross. And in doing that, what are they saying? I'm a sinner. That's what they're doing. Well, Criswell said in closing, it means that anyone who hears the gospel can be saved if he so desires. I've told this story before, but I know you forget stories, so it doesn't matter. And it's been a few years since I've told you this one. Teresa's uh, grandfather uh, and grandmother were married for 60-something years in the mid-60s, like 65, 66 years. And she got gotten saved, I think, early on in their marriage or maybe was already saved when they got married. And she prayed for her husband's salvation for like 60 years. He got saved when he was 90 years old. And he, he lived 12 to 14 months for Christ. He said, well, you know, I give up on that person. They're never going to come to understand what Jesus has done. That's what we think. Let's let the Lord do the work in the life of people. Let's just be faithful to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. All right, well, let's pray. Lord, as we transition now to um, having a time of remembrance, I pray that um, you would help us that we might not deny the sin that's there, but confess the sin that's there. That we might understand that we have an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. 
And as you've been teaching me over the years about confession, it's not just agreeing with you, but it's agreeing with you that it's sin and that, Lord, it grieves you, grieves your spirit. That's what your word tells us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that today they could come to know Christ. That they would understand that He loved them so much that He died for them. Not only did He endure a cruel cross, but He endured a separation from His own Father. Those are hard things for us to picture and to understand. But when we think about love and the demonstration of love, that certainly comes to the forefront of our minds that God demonstrated, as Paul wrote, his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I pray if it's, whether it's the advocate piece, whether one needs to be reminded this morning that we have one who speaks on our behalf or one needs to be reminded or told for the first time that there is one who's paid the penalty for their sins, who satisfied completely the wrath of God. I pray that they would come to understand that today. And uh, Lord, as we partake of the elements this morning, I pray it would be a tremendous time of remembrance and of celebration as to what our Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous one, did for us. And it's in his name we pray all of these things. Amen. I'm going to ask that the elders and deacons who've been asked to serve this morning would meet me down front here, please. All right, so as we come to our time this morning, um, I pray you've had time to consider this before you came today. Um, I know we've been sending it out as a, a reminder of some of the things we're doing in our services, and hopefully that's helpful to you in terms of being prepared to come today. And um, I would just say f- for myself that, you know, I'm reminded on a pretty regular basis that I'm a sinner. And uh, I'm thankful for the forgiveness, the complete forgiveness of my Lord. I want to walk in the light as he's in the light. As I'm walking there, sometimes things are revealed that are pretty rough. So I'm thankful that he hears me and that he forgives me. And so this morning, remember as I said earlier in the service, you know, two things are important, I think, as we come to this time. There are a lot of things, but two primary things before you take, and that is confession of sin to the Lord. You know, making sure that fellowship with him is right. And then, obviously, knowing the Lord as your Savior. So, um, hopefully you'll have time to do all that while we uh, hold the bread and have the juice. And So, I'm going to ask this morning that, uh, Eddie Bradley, would you pray for the bread this morning, please? Father, we come before you in this special time. First, we acknowledge you as the God and King of heaven and of all creation. And that you loved us, as insignificant as we are, and Jesus came and died for us. We thank you for the sacrifice and that we can remember that and look forward to his coming again. 
We thank you for the bread in his name. Amen. We think about the the body of our Lord. I think a lot of times that is confined by some just to the cross itself. But the torture really began in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so um, as we think about that and then on to when he was flogged, there's a lot more to it than I think at times uh, we might think of. So as we remember the body of our Lord today, we remember those, those things as well. Let's take it together.
you happen to remember the first time you took communion? Um, I don't know why that crossed my mind, but I was thinking about that's been a long time ago for me. Um, I'm quite certain that my dad and my mom would have explained it to me, but if you're a young person in here this morning, um, we don't partake of the bread or the juice to get to get saved. Okay, uh, we partake of the bread and the juice to commemorate, to remember the death of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, He commanded it to His New Testament church, and we're just obeying what He said. So I think that's very important for you guys to hear. It doesn't save you. But it's certainly something the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to obey him. So we take of this juice today to remember his blood that was spilt one time. Let's take it together. Imagine what it must have been like to be a priest daily going before and the high priest once a year. To know that while that delayed things that never satisfied and to think that there's one sacrifice that did and that's the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so that we never have to worry about that anymore amen wanted to give you some uh, other news this morning before we close with song um, we will have baptism on the 27th of this month I think my leg is just about healed praise the Lord the hematoma is still there, but it's doing fine. Took the hair off my skin, but nonetheless. Um, but the 27th of this month, we'll be having baptism. And next Sunday, we will have a message on baptism, which I don't think, if I've done one, I don't ever remember doing it. And if I don't remember, then you can't remember, all right? So next Sunday, we'll talk about that. Um, because we believe here and teach here at Grace, there are two ordinances that the Lord as for his New Testament church, that kind of sets us apart, and that is the Lord's Supper and baptism, and both are an issue of obedience and, and, and remembrance in some ways. So um, anyway, I just wanted to remind you of that. And then the week following, I will introduce the second section in First John and or something else because there's two weeks of missions conference. So it's really worked out great. The Lord's kind of separated all that out for me just fine. So it's been good to see you this morning. And I'd love to speak with you afterwards if you're visiting with us today. And uh, we're going to close with a song when we are finished singing. This is a test. When we're finished singing, you will be dismissed. You don't have to look at me. You don't have to look at your neighbor. You can just start carrying on conversation. All right? As I love that word, uh, advocate, my favorite term. Jesus, I love that word because when we sin, when we commit the very sin that he already, that's what put him on the cross, he's already paid for it, when we do that, he rises up right then, faces the Father, silences all accusers, says, no, you have no claim to him, he's mine, I paid for it. And I'm in awe of that. I can't believe it. Not only does he save us, he continues to save us. He doesn't just leave us to our own devices to stumble through this life. No, he fights for us. And when does he fight for us? When we're failing him.
That's when he fights the hardest. I, I can't believe that kind of love. I'm in awe of it. That's why I love that word. So let's honor him today. Let's worship him as we close this service. Let's stand. Let's sing again. Cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior of that cursed tree. And drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all. Jesus. 